Welcome to episode 198 of Backlash Podcast. This week we're going to talk to Cullen Veters of Muskie Candy Customs. And the reason we're talking to Cullen is because he just caught himself a giant muskie. So we're going to get some background on him and his business. You know, it's a it's a story of, I mean, we'll start out, I mean, he says it straight out. It's a story of almost like, you know, personal tragedy, definitely heading down the wrong path. You know, gets reignited into fishing and then, uh, you know, his passion with muskies and baits, you know, kind of has propelled him to, you know, to where he is now. And, I mean, if he's not a household name yet, he certainly is on his way to being one because the fish that he caught would be, you know, depending upon what, how you feel about, you know, world records and, and all that. I mean, this would be a world record class fish. It's a, you know, 59 and a half inch muskie and it weighed a legit 58 pounds as measured and verified by multiple people. So... Certainly a giant. That's our conversation this week. We're going to talk to him. You know, uh, we want to thank everybody for shopping with us at, you know, for our Thanksgiving sales. I know that, you know, it was successful on our end and, you know, Brad, Carrie, hopefully it was successful on your end. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to thank everybody that participated in that. Truly always appreciate our customers. That's for sure. It's, uh, we couldn't do what we do without them. And if you're still looking for Christmas gifts or if you're still chasing muskies and you're looking for some gear, make sure you check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. We continue to add things, you know, still on a very regular basis by the time, nope, but not by the time you hear this podcast. Coming soon, we'll have some new stuff hitting the website, you know, frequently, I guess. So a couple new things added. I won't talk about it yet since it's not here. But anyways, that's kind of what's up. And then, uh, you know, if you're still looking for Christmas gear, I know that they have you covered over there at Musky Mayhem Tackle. So, Brad, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, you pretty much hit it on the head. I mean, we have uh, pretty much anything you can think of in blades, your bucktails, your spinnerbaits. Then it comes to apparel. <laughs> Carrie definitely went out of her way this year to load up on apparel. So we've got tons and tons of sweatshirts as well as T-shirts and a really great selection of hats. And, you know, the other thing we want to talk about is episode number 200 is coming up. You know, we have started recording it. It's um, you know, a long process. We still got a couple weeks to go, so we still got some stuff to do. But so far, I don't want to let too much out of the bag, but I will a little bit, Brad. You know, we were working on putting together, I mean, I'm almost going to say like a very high quality number of guests and I don't, so far we haven't had one of them on a full episode yet. So we're you know, we're, we're, uh, we're definitely going off the beaten path on this. Yeah, absolutely. Jeff, I think it's important that we continue to grow this podcast. And I think we're doing that with the guest list that, uh, that we're putting together at this point. So it should be interesting. You know, 200 is a big event and, uh, I think we're following it up with some, uh, high end, uh, podcasters put it that way. Definitely. And I mean, potentially we have a couple irons in the fire yet. Potentially we have, at least a guest for sure that I would, you know, we'll consider him a legend in musky fishing. And I don't know that he's ever been on any podcast before. It's maybe a special deal there. Yeah, there, there's quite possibly a few of those. And uh, if that all comes together, Jeff, I, I, I believe it will. It's quite exciting, really. I mean, you think about it, it's probably not a household name in, in some instances, but, uh, there's going to be a lot of the listeners out there that ex know exactly who he is. So should be interesting. We'll see if we can't get this all buttoned up. 
Well, you know, Brad, and a couple of guests we've talked to already for episode 200, I've, I'm actually disappointed that we're not being able to do just full episodes with them, you know, cause we have a, you know, we kind of have a path that we're going down, but then like any, any one of our conversations, it always takes different twists and turns. So you're, you know, we're, we're trying to keep it within, you know, a, a, like 20 minutes to half an hour with each one of these guys, but we really want to dive in longer. So we're going to have to swing back on some of these guys and, and get full episodes out of them because we're literally just scratching the surface on some of these conversations. Well, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, if you think about it, Jeff, uh, you know, you start getting into some, some meat and bones on the whole topics that we were discussing and you could go off on a tangent, any different direction. So, and these guys, they know how to talk and they've been doing it for years. They know how to fish. And so you mix that combination and uh, there's going to be some excitement and it takes you down a lot of different paths. But all right. I, I know Brad, I got, I got to still finish up a few things to do from our Christmas sale. Anybody that cares, it's Monday night. So I'm still wrapping up, you know, cyber Monday's orders. So we got, I got some work to do in the shop and I know you're hitting the road. You still got to finish wrapping up some stuff for mayhem's 10,000 casts. So, you know, with that being said, let's just go dial up our conversation with Colin Veters. Let's go get after it. All right. Our guest this episode is Cullen Veters, and Cullen owns and operates Musky Candy Customs, and uh, it's uh, some crankbaits that he makes, and I think he's expanded into a bunch of other baits, and we'll let uh, Cullen talk about that in a minute. But the reason we have him here today is because, well, I shouldn't say recently. The news came out recently, but the fish is actually from what? I think October, right, Cullen? Yes, October 24th. Excellent. So... You know, about a little over a month ago, he caught himself, uh, you know, we'll call it a, you know, modern day world record almost. I mean, you know, depending upon which side of the fence you are about some of the older records. I mean, this one is legit and it's a 59 and a half by 58 pound muskie. So a true giant weight. It's not, we're not using girth measurements to guess on this thing. It's legit. Um, you know, and, and I'll let Colin tell the story, but first off, Colin, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to talk musky fishing with me, especially cause I'm sure once news broke of this one recently that, you know, you've been contacted by numerous people to talk about the story. So I want to thank you for choosing to talk with us and, um, yep. you know, thanks for being here, but let's, you know, we haven't had you on the podcast before, so let's dive into that a little bit. Why don't you kind of go over your background? I mean, cause you're. You know, not only do you build baits, but you've been, it sounds like you're pounding the water all the time and, you know, a lot of time on the water and, and you're getting out and putting some giant fish in the net. Not only this one, but I mean, from the stories we've heard from you, you definitely have your, your hands full with some big fish on a you know fairly annual basis. So let's, uh, I'll give it, I'll give the stage to you and, uh, let you run with it. Okay. Sounds good. So basically I'll give you a background of, you know what got me into musky fishing, um, what got me into making bait, and um, kind of how it's, it's evolved. So my whole life growing up, I always loved fishing. Uh, my dad had sailboats the whole time I was growing up, and uh, I used to just fish off the dock for, you know, hours and hours and hours. I'm pretty open about my life, too, so, you know, I'll give you guys a full full rundown how everything started basically. So loved fishing as a kid. And when I was a teenager, I got really involved in some really bad stuff. Ended up in multiple drug rehabs, halfway houses, almost died a few times in uh, jails, 
basically the whole nine yards. You know, at a young age, I had went to I uh, went into a rehab at like nineteen. But actually, nineteen is when I got out. And you know, while I was in there, a lot of my friends, you know, were either into real bad stuff or they were still, you know, typical college kids and drinking and, you know, which I still at the time was not in a position to be around at all. So I really needed something to do. Well, while I was in the halfway house, they, uh, there was a, the Buffalo river ran behind it. And, uh, there was one counselor who fished, he bass fished and he used to take us over there. You know, I got back into fishing like that. It was like, boom, I just loved it again. And so, uh, you know, I ended up, I'd come home on home passes and go fishing. And, you know, it kept me out of trouble. You know, I was hanging out with kids that more or less fished um, and did positive things. Once I got home, didn't have too many friends my age that I could really hang out with too much. So I basically just fished everywhere. I grew up salmon and steelhead fishing and, uh, you know, like loved fishing for pike and bass and everything like that. Then I was probably, I don't know, 21 and an older guy I used to fish with. I was flipping through this photo album he had and I see this fish and I'm like, what is that thing? And he's like, it's a muskie. I'm like, where did you catch that thing? And he tells me, and it was this little inland lake in New York. I'm like, I want to go. So we like get rigged up. We got a canoe. That's all we had. I had like a spinning rod set up with like 30 pound braid and like the Walmart steel eater and took some big maps bucktails with me and I uh, fished for about six hours. And I uh, finally caught my first muskie and like right there, it was like, I was addicted, you know, kept wanting to go back. We fished this little in, inland lake for, I don't know, probably a year or two. That's all we fished. Really fun lake. Great to learn at. Tons of fish. But I mean, if you caught a 40 incher in this thing, it was a big fish. Kept fishing there. Um, also, I still had fished a ton in the Tribs in the Niagara River. And uh, my main partner, John Pencil, he, uh, he had fished the lower Niagara River. Me and him started hanging out at that time, and we still had fished a ton together. And uh, he saw me one time, and I was throwing smaller musky baits for pike in uh, Harbor off of Lake Ontario. He goes, you know, what are you fishing for? And I'm like, pike. And he's like, well, where do you get those baits or whatever? And I tell him, I'm like, they're musky baits. And I go and fish for muskies down in this lake. And I, you know, so he was kind of interested in it. And we ended up going down in a canoe and we'd fish that same lake. And uh, we'd go a few times, probably a month. And he kept talking. He's like, we got to start fishing the Niagara river. Like we we're, we got to get bigger one. So he had a 14 foot duck boat and we put twin 30 pound thrust trolling motors on this thing to steer when we weren't main motor. So we had like, you could do a circle with the thing. It was crazy. You know, we went out there 
And uh, a lot of the stuff that we learned was like just by doing different things and trying them. You see a lot of things where people read stuff on the internet and they just go exactly by what somebody told them. And that's, I mean, great now and it can work. But I feel like you're always just one step behind the last guy who's done it for the last, you know, 5, 10, 20 years. You're never going to learn anything cool or new or unique to apply to it. You're just going to be doing the same thing. And a lot of times those bites have already been burned, you know, really burned down a lot. So, I mean, we tried everything. We used to fish the eastern section of the river, which seems to hold smaller fish. We didn't have Canadian licenses. We finally started jigging in the river. We finally started catching bigger fish there. Still remember every, you know, the first 40-incher I caught. I still remember the first 45-incher I caught. Still remember the first 50-incher I caught, and I could tell you exactly how it went down, what bait it ate, the conditions. So, you know, all those things were special to me. So we we got into that. We also started night trolling, start having success. And at this time, I was doing concrete and industrial demolition. And I remember I, as soon as I came home, I had got an associate's degree, basically, for just like general education stuff. Kind of let that go. And for years, I just kind of worked jobs here and there to get by and, you know, just love fishing. I used to just fish basically any chance I could. Anyways, at one point, I'm like, okay, I need to further my education. Like, you know, I could get like a job in the field of substance abuse and, you know, do something like that. Like, I already got the first two years. So I ended up applying for college at the University of Buffalo for health and human services because I wanted to, you know, try and work in the field and give back, kind of. So I always tied my own steelhead jigs, um, made little spinners, stuff like that. But I was real interested in making musky baits. And at first I tried to, you know, use wood. I'm not really a huge woodworker. I carved these bland shaped things that basically looked like a sanded down two by four on each side. And I'd use um, spray paint for the paint jobs. And these things were just absolutely atrocious. And there's still some of these that are floating around there as like um, novelties almost. Um, so. I ended up drilling through my hand. It's just a mess. I'm not, like I said, I'm not a woodworker. These things were horrible. I kind of give up, give up on it for a little bit. While I'm going to University of Buffalo, I ended up getting a financial aid refund check. And I started researching different kinds of, you know, urethanes and silicone to make your own mold. Took everything I got from that refund check. And I bought you know, a compressor. I bought silicone to make my own mold. A bunch of different types of urethane to try to figure out, you know, which material was best. Got all that together, and I started just tinkering around. And at this time, you know, like I said, I'm going to college. I have late classes. So I'm able to, like, work on these things and tinker around all night. And I became basically obsessed with it. 
like every night till like I start at night till like five in the morning. I'd be just trying to figure out different shapes and everything like that. And I was already into fishing a lot of resin baits and stuff. Perch baits and plows made by Brian Boyer were huge on the Niagara and Buffalo Harbor. So I kind of started to lean more towards that. And uh, eventually, you know, I got some shapes and stuff that worked and kind of tinkered around more while I was going to school. Ended up getting hired like a apprenticeship at this uh, children's rehab. And it was actually the same drug rehab that I was in 10 years prior. So it was really cool to like be on the other side and kind of give back. I could kind of really connect with the kids. So I did an internship there. And like while I was doing this internship, I kept making baits and the, one of the defining factors was one time, you know, I knew a lot of people through the musky world and the internet and all that. And I, Johnny Dadson one time, I'm showing him these baits. And he goes, you know, could I get it? Could I get a couple of those? And I'm thinking like, why does this guy want my baits? Like these things are horrible. The uh, fire tiger didn't look like fire tiger. They were just like, Really, really, really bad paint jobs. But he starts buying these things off me, and he gives one to his buddy. He takes it to Lake Nipissing and gets like a 50-incher instantly on it. And I had been catching some smaller fish in the Niagara on the ones I made. And then that guy, you know, he told a few people. And then they told a few people. It was like, I never really... Um, set out to like make this a business it just kind of like word of mouth hearsay i guess anyways it becomes kind of like it's starting to become a job kind of like i'm making more and more of these things and more people are starting to ask me and i remember my first way i was selling baits was on ebay and then the original musky flea market in some of those pages. And at one point, Joe Flo from Joe Flo's Musky Shop, you know, out in Quebec, he said, you know, I think these things would do good up here on the St. Lawrence. And I said, you know, I do got a few buddies that have used them up there and they do work good. So he goes, how many, how much for a hundred? And I'm like, a hundred? Like, I'm making like 12 of these every two weeks. And I'm not set up like, my bait turner was on my parents' dining room table for, you know, the first year. And I'm like, whatever. So we work out a deal and I start sending him baits. He was the first guy to really, really give me a shot. You know, he did well with them. And more personal orders started coming in just from Facebook and social media. We started really dialing in, like, night trolling and getting fish on them, too. So, you know, we were constantly putting up pictures um, like that. When I got into this, I never planned for it to be a business. I just wanted to make something that I caught, could catch a muskie on, you know, or some of my buddies could. That was, like, the coolest thing ever to me. And, you know, I see some guys that are around for a little bit, and then they kind of fade out. And it's almost like... Maybe I'm wrong, but in my opinion, it's like 
they weren't in it for the right reason from the start. I got in this because it was just in my blood to do this. Um, had a huge passion to do it. Always took pride in my stuff. So it just kind of like my love for it drove the whole thing. I really didn't have to try too much. You know, the, the effort and the drive was just there, just based on like my passion for it. So anyways, I'm interning at this rehab building baits and building more and more baits and more guys are starting to use them and more well-known guys. It's getting to a point now where it's like getting stressful. The girl I was with at the time, she had kids. I would go to work all day and then I'd come home and go right down to the bait dungeon and make baits till like midnight. And it got really, really, really stressful. So there was even times I remember where I was like trying to fill orders and I was actually calling into my regular job because I got hired at that same rehab out of my internship. And I remember at one point, finally, I was probably building baits, you know, pretty, not full time, but a lot. And my dad was like, do you think you could do that? Like your whole job, just be building baits. And I'm like, honestly, if I put all my eggs into one basket, I probably could. But, you know, I didn't know if this was just going to fade out in six months and, you know, it was going to die out or whatever, if it was just a phase. So I was, like, really nervous about leaving that job and um, not having that guaranteed paycheck every week and, you know, not knowing exactly what the future would hold. Like I said, I was scared if, you know, what if this dies out? Scared of not having a regular paycheck and just the fear of the unknown, I guess. But I was like, dude, you just got into this job. I respect people that do it. And it was very rewarding for me. But like anybody in health and human services, typically, in my opinion, they don't get paid what they should or they deserve. And it was basically like, kind of I either had to make that decision then or really further try to work up the ladder possibly go back to school so I just kind of was like I had a buddy and God bless him he ended up um, passing away in 2020 he was like big into like he started his own business he was a barber and he always told me like like, don't just like do this because that's what everybody says you're supposed you're supposed to do, you know, you're supposed to go to, go to college and then you get this job and that's just what you do. He's like, you got something like you could make some something out of this. I know you're going to do it. And at the time I really didn't think like it would ever become what it became. So I go out on a whim. I just had to basically go out on hope that this thing would work out. So I, all my time, I left my job and started making baits full time. And this was about six years ago now. So I've been building baits for about 10 years and six full time, very seriously. I honestly wish I would have kept a count on how many baits I've built because it'd be really interesting to know. But I put everything into this, you know, I started advertising that I was going full time and talking to my friends and um i will tell you this at the start it was like it was a really really big struggle and we've all seen you know 
the musky market and what it's turned into over these past, you know, five, six years. And, you know, with prices and custom bait making, and um, I'll tell you for the first few years, it was really, really hard. I remember time for like me just waiting on an order that was like a $500 order to be paid for to just to like pay my rent, you know, just to have gas, certain things like that, or just to keep, be able to have gas money to fish stuff like that because fishing was still i had to be fishing that's just wasn't even a question i uh, ended up the first year i was full-time i ended up meeting my wife and i remember totally remember this she was like what do you do for a living anyways and i tell her i make fishing lures and you should have seen the look on her face you know, and I, once I finally explained, like, I'm not just tying some little flies in the basement or whatever, she kind of understood it a little more. But, like, for the first, you know, three years of us being together, it was like we we lived with her dad for a while. Then we had this little, little apartment um, by the one harbor that I grew up by. And then we had this other apartment. Definitely, it was it was a struggle, and um, you know, it just showed showed me like you know she appreciated me for me because she didn't obviously didn't get with me because I had a ton of money, and she probably could have got with somebody that did have a ton of money. So, anyways, I just keep working kind of up the ladder and starting to build more models of baits. My painting had got way way better, and I credit a lot of that to Gatson because he'd give me these off the wall colors to paint and it helped me get good at painting. I mean, he probably had ordered a hundred of these things in a real short amount of time. And uh, I really got good at painting. I see some of these guys that like start painting and they're like really, really good within like the first three months of starting airbrushing. And for me, that was not the case. I'm really not an artistic person other than building baits. Uh, it really, really took me a long time to be able to lay down colors and make a pattern look how it's supposed to look. Like I said, I used to paint these, what was supposed to be fire tiger. And now I look back on it and we'll actually compare them because some of my buddies and people I know still have those old dates and we'll compare like the, you know, put them up like year by year and you can just see the progression in the same thing with the consistency. I got to a point finally where I could paint 10 baits and you could look at them and basically it looked like a machine did them. Like they'd be identical. A lot of more well-known guys start using the baits and they start doing really well basically some of the best guides in the world. If you look at statistics, started running my baits and the fish that they were getting on them were pretty wild. So basically it just evolved from that and it's gotten better and better every year for me. You know, it's not as much of a struggle as it used to be. Me and my wife in 2020, we ended up getting a house on Lake Ontario. Um, it was our first house ever. So like it's paid off, but it was definitely a super grind and it still is on a lot of days, but I love it. And I honestly couldn't picture myself doing anything different now. Like I was determined to make this work no matter what, basically. And like I said, my heart's in it. I really take pride in my stuff. 
if I make a model and it just doesn't seem like it's going to keep up with the competition, I don't keep it in my lineup because of, you know, if, if you know me and you've fished with me, especially trolling, when I troll, I, I don't use anything but my crankbaits unless I'm trolling, you know, a bucktail or something, which honestly, it's usually a homemade bucktail I made anyways. I got enough models now to where I feel like I can always get them to eat at least one of them. And that's the thing. I grew up, I'm a fisherman at heart. I just learned how to make baits, basically. So when it was time to like design a bait and look at it and you wanted a certain action, I was able to look at it and be like, you know, for the most part, look at a bait and the action in the water and say, yeah, that's going to that's gonna do it. And uh, like I said, I've made a few baits throughout the years that caught fish, but the action I just really didn't think was the greatest or it could be better. I noticed that the bait really wasn't outstanding. It didn't, you know, outproduce other baits or it didn't keep up with other baits. I always got rid of them. And there were guys that wanted certain ones of them, but I'm like, I just can't sell. I can't bring myself to sell something that I don't think is like a great option for an angler to use, I guess. Like I said, I basically use all my stuff personally too in the water I'm fishing. I can't have stuff that's not quality and it's not just built to catch fish. So like my crankbaits, like I said, I always took pride in those, you know, in the paint jobs and the durability and tool wire and same thing with, I make a spinner bait that I don't make huge batches of, but, and then I just came out with a really big chatter bait. It's the biggest chatter bait in the musky world at this time. And that was basically my plan as I fished certain waters. Thought that during blade bites, the chatterbait would be something to stand out a little bit. Because, you know, there's waters that I fish that are, those fish have seen twin tens a million times. And they've seen 12s a lot. They've seen 13s. So I always try and be doing something slightly different. I'm not saying you want to always just try and off the wall stuff that it might not work, but I definitely always try to have my own style, you know, even with bait making and fishing and do something that's going to be unique. And I found some cool patterns and bites that are unorthodox and that I know other people haven't done or they haven't been willing to try. So, like I said, when you learn things on your own and do it through trial and error, you might find something that the guy before you didn't find because he might have just read on the internet what it said to do. And that's the sad thing is like nobody wants to figure out anything anymore. Nobody wants to go out there and like figure it out themselves and grind and try different things. They just want to go on a forum and read, okay, go to this river mouth and cast this and do this. And that's cool. And it, like I said, it'll probably work. It's worked for, you know, other people, but you're never going to have an edge. I always try and have an edge, whether it's doing something different, how I approach spots, you know, new baits. I always try and throw in something that if I'm fishing with a group of guys that primarily throw swim tens, I'm going to try and throw a spinner bait or the, or the chatter bait. Unless I see that the hands down, would prefer 10s or 12s or something like that, I'm going to try and fish something different. 
so basically, um, that's how I got into musky fishing. That's how I got into bait making. I know it's kind of like a run on and a lot to take in, but it all ties into the story. But I could, like I said, I could never do anything different now. It's just so in my blood to do this and just become a part of me. Basically, sometimes I like tell people I feel like I'm going to turn into a muskie because if I'm not on the water fishing, I'm usually building baits. And even when I'm not building baits at the shop, I'll have, you know, wire and Lexon lips and I'll be twisting that stuff right at home at the dinner table. And then if I'm not doing that, I'm usually answering questions about baits or fishing or talking about fishing. So it's basically uh, muskies is my life. Well, it sounds like you definitely overcame some, you know, personal struggles and some business struggles to make it to where you are now. Obviously, you know, the the time on the water is probably, I guess, e- in a sense, kind of easier because, you know, it is when you set your own schedule, you know, with your own oh, business, yeah. you can work whatever hours you want. So if you want to go fishing 100%. for four hours, you can, you can fit that in or, you know, eight yep. hours, you're just going to pay for it somewhere along the line. You can, you can kind of, yeah. you know, move things around a little bit. So that's nice. Yes, it's uh, it's been one of the the benefits for sure. And like I said, like guy guys that build baits full time will sometimes be like, you know, I want to go full time or I want to do this, and they're like, that's awesome. But like, you really got to think of the, like the pros and the cons. And I also tell these guys, you got to be nuts to want to do this full time. You really do. And you could ask any guy that builds baits full time and he'll tell you the same thing I would most likely guess. Um, but it is definitely one of the benefits. Um, you know, I tend to really, really just work, 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 work. I don't really take days off in the winter or the off season. And, you know, if I'm taking trips and I'm taking, you know, three and four day trips to go fishing, when I come home, I just make up for it and work harder on the time on the days that I'm working. And it's, you know, it can work both ways too. Cause then there's some times where it's like, Oh, well you could go take off to go fishing for this many days. Well, you could take off to do this. So it's kind of, you know, it can be a double edged sword too, but um, I would definitely prefer it like that. Cause you know, conditions are favorable today. I fished, you know, I had just gotten back off the water right before this. Tomorrow I'm going to be fishing. And, like, it's because with the wind, the wind really turns up Lake Erie and it can turn the our home river muddy if it's real stiff south, south, southwest winds. So, basically, we know that, you know, and my partner, he's able to kind of work his schedule towards his fishing, too. You know, you got to keep your priorities straight. So, you know, we looked and we're like, okay, Monday and Tuesday, we got a window and then it's all going to go to mud, mud again, which, you know, that gives us a benefit because the guy who can only fish on the weekend, if it's pure mud, that's the only time he can fish. So it's definitely a blessing. So let's talk a little bit about fishing. We got the background covered and I mean, I'm sure Brad and I know all about, about the struggle of you know, maintaining a full-time employment within the uh, fishing industry. It certainly has its pluses, you know, positives and negatives. But then again, you know, most every job that you have has that same, that same deal. Obviously in this case, you know, you're making a future for yourself instead of working for your employer. So that's, that's a plus. But yes, definitely. Let's talk about the fish that we're, um, that, that you're, uh, 
I guess we'll call you famous for now, or you, you maybe not yet, but you will be shortly. Uh, I mean, I mean, it's, it's snowballing and gaining traction. You know, why don't you kind of lay out that story? Why don't you lay out the day? I know that, uh, you know, there's, there's probably more to it than just putting out a bait and then, uh, and then running it and, and catching something. So first of all, let me ask you one thing. Did you know that this fish was in that area? Had you seen it follow? Had you seen it on side? I... Had you any of that or not? I had um, marked it on sonar earlier in the evening. We had launched at about 5 p.m. And honestly, it was a three-day trip. It was bad conditions, wind. And in this area, if it's usually over 10-mile-per-hour wind out of any direction, you're just not getting out unless you have a huge salmon boat or you know something like a huge guide on Lake Sinclair would use. So we actually had to head east, had a few hours east to fish a narrower section of the river and uh, for two days. And, you know, I had buddies up there that were fishing and it seemed like the night before me and the guy I was with when we caught that fish left, like they were hammering them, like the fish were going off and I'm just like, we're on our way up and we're like, because the, the area we're fishing, it can be a lot like that. Like the fish, you'll get two three four in one night and then like for three days it's just like they're like no we're not eating but like dude we're missing it right now like we're we're literally showing up at the worst possible like window so when we were launching one of our friends got the last fish that they had got for the next three days so basically we fished through those and i mean usually when we go out we're fishing a minimum of you know, unless we have stuff to do a minimum of 10 hours. So we go and give it, you know, 10 to 14 hour day, two days in a row. We don't even see a fish, don't hook a fish. And, um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have good success for a lot of years now. And usually always put uh, a big fish in the bag. And, uh, you know, this year it just seemed like, my summer fishing, it was just tough. And I'm talking like the toughest it's ever been since I fished, you know, Great Lakes Muskies. Like, I'm just like, why aren't they doing what they usually do? And I'm trying different stuff. And, you know, you try to approach approach spots differently, use different tactics, different baits or whatever. But it just seems like the fish weren't set up real good and weren't set up on spots like they usually would be. There was also more pressure on the water. Me and the guy I was with, who usually, you know, this guy is a big fish magnet. Like, you know, I this was the first year when it got to August, and I didn't have a fish over 55 inches in, I think it was eight years. So I'm like, come on. And, you know, every time I go fishing again, I'm like, oh, it's going to turn on. It's going to turn on. And, you know, I'm not going to say it was a horrible year or whatever, like, I caught fifties on the new chatter bait, you know, I had action, but it wasn't the success that I'm used to having. So I was, I was honestly kind of down. I probably fished more than ever this summer because I was like fishing harder because it was harder. Like I was like determined to get a giant fish and um, determined that they were going to turn on and they were going to do what I wanted them to do. It was tough. And the guy I was with, like I said, he usually, you know, he's got fish ups of 57 and a half inches too. And uh, 
he's caught a lot of fish over 55 as well. And I, he just, it was having the same. We were both just having a tough year compared to usual. So now we're on the third day of the trip. And finally we got light and variable wind. I'm like, dude, we got to go. We got to go try that area. I'm like, rarely can you ever get out there. And so he had never fished this area before. He had primarily fished, you know, more towards Quebec on the St. Lawrence. So, you know, we had his boat. We go and launch. It was like 5 p.m. Get out there, get set up. And I had two other buddies that had people with them also out on the water. And they hadn't done anything for like three days at that point too. So now we're on day three and we got to leave in the morning and we haven't even seen a fish in my mind. I'm just like, come on, dude, like something has to give. Like I am down. Like I am just miserable. I'm like another time, you know, cause you know, on trips like that, you're spending money, you're buying, you get in hotel rooms, the food, the gas, the time, the being away from home being away from the pets and the wife and all that. So, you know what I mean? You do sacrifice to be able to fish trips like that. I had been there previously, like, I don't know, a week and a half before, and I did do well. Usually this area is not considered a number spot. Like, you know, it's one of those areas where I, I know guys that'll catch one fish a year fishing this area. And, um, you know, it's not uncommon to go days without a bite. Well, I remember, you know, a week and a half prior, we had, uh, one night we went four for six there. I was catching fish in a certain area. You know, they were, they wanted deep jointed candies at that trip and uh, a big 13 inch I make. We did well. So I'm like, you know what? I'm like, I'm going to go check that area out first. And, Probably, I don't know, early on in the evening, I marked a mark on the sonar that was like the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen on sonar. And I'm just, I, I, I tap my body and I'm like, look at this thing. And I'm, in my mind, I was like, I don't even know if this can be a musky. It's so big. Like it looks like, cause there's sturgeon in that area too. And I'm like, dude, that might be a sturgeon but it was suspended slightly off the bottom under a pot of bait. So I'm like, yeah, maybe not. And when I fish this fishery, I'll waypoint every drop new waypoints, every trip, even if I just mark a fish, because it's funny at the end of the trip, you can look at those marks on a lot of times. It almost forms like a contour line itself on where the fish are, you know, setting up. So anyways, we go, we go fish a bunch of stuff. There's a more popular area in the general area that I caught this fish and there is a bunch of boats working it and I, it deterred me. I didn't feel like playing, you know, bumper boats in there. And I had marked a few fish in this other area. So I just basically narrowed it down to where I had been marking fish in the smaller area. And I kind of kept going back and forth, back and forth. And then I got back up to that same area again and I marked another huge hook on the sonar. And I, I go to my buddy, I go, look at, there's another one. And then I would thought about it. I'm like, dude, that's probably the same fish, but I dropped the waypoint anyway. And you know, sundown comes, we're like, okay, it's going to happen. Sun, sun goes down. The moon phase comes through. Nothing. 
everybody else I know out there, no bites. You know, there was a few boats out there. I didn't see any camera flashes. And the guys that I knew personally, they, they hadn't got any bites. So there was like another, I don't know, minor, major, a little later. Fish through that, no bites. There was one last moon phase that was from like 12 to 2.30 or something like that. And uh, I was like, okay, that's it. We fished through that last one because there's not another one till early in the morning. It's like 12.30 and I'm back up by where I marked that mark on the sonar. And I had been running my bait, you know, at a certain depth for the, the whole trip, basically. And then I was like, you know what? And I dropped it back farther and put it down deeper. And within five minutes, that rod went off. And honestly, I could say it wasn't exactly what I would expect on the initial pull from a fish that big. I mean, it wasn't like it was a little fish, but it wasn't like I was salmon trolling and the rod went off type, you know, drag pull. But I grabbed the rod, does a few head shakes, and you know how you can kind of like judge a fish's size based on like the pause between the head shakes and how frequent they are. So they're kind of far between and feel like pretty wide head shakes. So I'm like, yeah, dude, this, this might be a good one. I'm fighting it. He clears all the rods, gets the net ready or whatever. And I'm like, you got to slow the boat down, slows the boat down. And I mean, I had a lot of line out, so I'm still way out there. And all of a sudden this thing just like stops. And I don't think I've ever really experienced this exact phenomenon with any other muskie while I was trolling. It was like everything just stopped. And if you were from another boat watching me, it would have looked like I was just snapped. The fish was a head shaking. It wasn't, you know, running or anything. I just could not move it. And I'm like, I can't move this thing. So I'm like, you got to slow the boat down. He's like, I already slowed the boat down. I was like, well, then you got to shut the motor off because I can't move this. And as soon as he shut the motor off, this thing stripped off a bunch of wire. So I'm like, dude, this might be big. So my knees kind of start trembling because, I mean, I fished this area because that's what can happen there. And uh, like I said, I got other spots on, you know, that river where I could go and I could catch, you know, mid 50 inch fish, 53s, 54s, 55s. And you're sacrificing a lot of those fish to try and get that ultimate super freak. And uh, I've been doing that for years, trying to get a fish like that. And, uh, you know, you started thinking sometimes, like, is this ever going to pay off? And I, like I said, I always compare it to, you know, playing the mega millions versus playing scratch off. So anyways, fish takes off. Then it kind of was on top of the water. Knew it wasn't a small fish. Finally, I'm starting to get it in closer and get it in closer. I see a head and it looks huge. So now my knees start trembling and like I could just feel adrenaline pumping through my body. And I honestly started getting nervous that I wasn't going to land the fish because I was going to like fall down because my legs were shaking so bad. Like I kept telling myself, like, you got to stop, dude, you're going to lose this big, the biggest fish you've ever caught because you can't keep it together. So I managed to keep it together somewhat, get the fish. Finally, it's in the sight of our headlamps. This was at about 1230 during that last moon phase. We were about to leave fishless. And all of a sudden we get a good, good glimpse of this thing. And I just lose it. I'm like, 
huge. I'm like, this thing's huge. This thing's huge. And, and the guy I was with just goes, dude, that's her. That's it. And I was in such like, you know, normally I'm fishing with a guy and like, like I said, I've caught, you know, a good amount of fish between 55 and 58 inches. And, you know, I'm able to keep it together and like work with the guy and steer the head into the net and back up so he can get in there. And I was so just in shock and the adrenaline was pumping so bad that like, I don't know if you've ever seen a person that's never salmon fish trying reeling a salmon and fight it. And they're just like almost reeling while like the fish is still trying to run. It was basically, I went from like an experienced angler to that. He's got the net ready. And thank God, this guy is built like a tank. I mean, this guy's a forearm. He's got to be like 20-inch girth. Like, it's ridiculous. The guy's just massive. He used to be a power lifter and still, you know, does. The guy makes me look small. And so, I'm not moving. He's on the, it'd be the right side of me. The fish is on the left side of me, back towards the motors, while we're both facing the side of the boat and it's starting to splash and try to get back in like the kicker motor in the main motor, like back in that stuff. And I see them start reaching cause I'm not backing up cause I'm like not even thinking right. Cause I'm in such shock and he starts reaching. And in my head, I'm just thinking like, no, do not try and reach for this fish like that. Well, he's so strong and such a big guy that he was able to like extend that net that far. And next thing I knew, he had it in the net. And it was like the craziest net job I ever saw. So now he's just looking at it. He's like, we can't believe it. Like the thing was just so abnormally giant that it was mind blowing. Like I said, he's caught, you know, fish up to 57 and a half inches. I got, you know, multiple fish mid to high 50 inch range. And this just absolutely crushed every single one of them. Like it made my, it made my personal best, prior personal best of 57 and a half. Looked like a joke. Like this thing was like the head was the, like when I put my hand in there to grab it by its jawbone, you know, to get it out of the net, it was just like, what is this thing? Like, this is crazy. And I'm just, just sitting there and I'm just seeing this is the biggest muskie I ever caught. This is the biggest, biggest muskie I've ever seen. We end up taking it out. He, now that he sees like it, the thing doesn't end. You keep pulling it over the gunnel and it's just like, keeps going And the, how thick this thing was all the way through was just like astonishing to me. We get it out trying to take pictures his phone's not working right. And I'm like, come on, dude. Like, I want to get this fish back in the water, but I sure as hell want good pictures of this thing. So he's trying to take pictures, can't get it to work. So now I got the fish on my lap and I'm trying to get my phone out, but my hands are so cold and so slimy. I can't get my phone working either. So he's like trying again. It's just not going to work. And so I'm like, hold on, like just in case anything happens, I want to know how long this fish is. So we put it on the bump and his bump actually goes to 61 inches. I've seen that one. And I also just recently saw one that goes to 64 and I never even knew that existed. And we lay it on the bump board and he just goes, Colin, are you seeing this? Are you seeing this? And I looked down there 
and come to his end because you like the fish was so long you got to like walk over to the other end of it and i look and i'm just like wow dude nip it's 59 59 and a half with a pinch you know i got pictures of it laying on the bump board thing was just absolutely ridiculous but now i don't even have a good picture of it yet and i'm like hold on you know my buddy pencil my main partner who i usually fish with he was out there you know with somebody else and i'm like let me call him you know and i had two scales on me and he also had two chatillion scales with him and you know most people that weigh muskies or are trying to find world record fish like that they'll use the chatillion a chatillion are a really good digital scale and i always told myself like if i caught a fish like that like a you know close to a world record fish or you know just world-class fish like that everything was going to be legit so i called him he pulls the rods we had put the fish in the net to let it sit in the water so it's not out of the water um he gets over there and i'm like wait do you see this thing wait do you see this thing and i pull it out they're just like what so we had another buddy out there who's also a guide he had uh, somebody with him fishing so now we called them over we got three we had three boats total there and it was six of us total and i you know finally i get good pictures with the thing it was awesome because you were able to get different shots from the different boats and good lighting you know there are times where somebody was holding the light on the fish and whatever and then i'm like okay we're weighing this thing i don't do guesses and you know estimations you know and if you didn't girth it and you're claiming a certain girth i mean that's cool but it's not legit to me you know and if you're talking weight based on length times girth calculations I could say personally, I've weighed fish that had the same dimensions, but four inches shorter. And they weighed 40 pounds on the dot. I one time weighed a 55 and three quarters by 25 and a 52 and a half by 25. And they both weighed 40 pounds on the dot because those, a lot of those length and girth calculations, they don't take into like consideration. Is the fish just super fat and one, you know, in the belly? and then it tapers back in real quick is it thick all the way through to the tail and hold its girth basically all the way through what that fish ate prior what you know if it didn't eat a lot prior uh, muscle versus fat i mean think about it you could look at a 300 pound mr olympia versus a you know 300 pound just fat guy and they're gonna look different I never went by that and I go by if you if you didn't weigh it, don't say it. And like, you know, people can say whatever, but I wanted it to be legit and I wanted there to be no questions. Very little possible way to doubt it. And I wanted to know myself. And I I'm so glad with how everything turned out. Like I said, there was video of everything, five witnesses, you know, a calibrated scale, calibrated before and after you know, ton of cool release shots or whatever, you know, and the people that were there were like people that are super important to me and super close to me. And it was just like one of the greatest moments of my life. And I've worked really hard for that fish. And, you know, it was amazing to catch it on, you know, and my own bait that when this started, 
I just wanted to be able to catch a muskie on, on a, something I made. I didn't care if it was 30 inches. It was truly just an amazing moment for me um, and everybody else there. I mean, everybody who was there, like I said, they've caught fish over 55 inches. And, you know, some of them have seen multiple, multiple 50-pound fish, and they were just astonished by this thing. Like I said, too, and, you know, some of them were well-known guys. It was just, like, unbelievable, man. Like, I hate to just keep repeating it, but I just, like, still can't even fully grasp that 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 happened. You know, I mean, I was hoping for, you know, if I got a 50-pound fish, I didn't care how long it was, you know, if it was just a super whale tank of a 54 and it was 50 pounds, that would have made my life right there. One of the cool things, you know, we get it, put it in the net, bring the net in the boat, you know, set the fish in there, take the net handle out, get as low as you can with the hook on the chatillion, and you got to hold it up. Well, it was so hard to hold it out over you and stand on, you know, the back deck that we had to have, I think it was three of us at the end had to hold, hold the fish to get it up off of the floor. And I remember pencil, my main partner was in the boat. And when he read the scale, his voice started cracking. Like he was going to cry almost. And he just, I remember like exactly how he said, he was like, the scales reading, 62 pounds and he's like it's a 58 pound fish because the uh it was actually over 58 pounds the uh the net hoop actually just weighed three pounds and change and we just said four anyway soaking wet so it actually i mean not that it matters but you know quarter pound or whatever it would have been over but you know we made sure to weigh the net hoop soaking wet to account for any type of you know offset there would be and um, like I said, I just, it's how I always planned it to go. And I wanted everything to be legit. No question about anything. And um, I'm glad that it, glad that it went the way it did. And that I was able to share that moment with so many great anglers and close friends to me. So what, what happens the next day? What do you, what do you wake up to? I mean, where do you go from there? I guess is kind of where I want to know. Like, oh, okay. Well, you know, you caught this yeah. monster fish. And it's a fish you've been, you've been not necessarily chasing this particular fish, but you've been chasing a fish of this caliber for this long and you, you accomplish it. Like, you know, you know, now when you go out the next day, <laughs> what's the, what's the thought process? Like you're, you're, you're going to love this. I didn't go in. We didn't go in. The guy that uh, I was with, like I said, he, he's had a tough year as well compared to previous years. So we fished all the way until daybreak and into daytime. We had launched 5 p.m. the day before and we fished all the way into day for, you know, a couple hours trying to get another one to go because there was still fish we were marking, but we just couldn't get another one to go, but really wanted to get him a fish before we went home. Unfortunately, we couldn't get another one to go, but um, yeah, we didn't go in. We kept fishing. And I, I've seen it before where like, not saying that you're necessarily going to get a bigger one than that that night, but I've seen when the big fish go off, you know, they can go off and pack. Like I said, I, 2020, I almost got, you know, a few fish over 55 in the same day. And I have, I landed two of them. One was a 55 incher at 3 a.m. And the other one was a 57 and a half at 5 a.m. 
you know, and I lost another really big one that day. And it was just like, sometimes when though, and you know, a lot of people, they'd catch a 53 and they'd say, Oh my God, like that's it. We got the one they came for. And like, I look at days like that that happened in 2020 and it's like, we could have went out and, you know, those big ones could have just been finally going or there was, you know, another one that was maybe say 48 pounds in that area. So not that it was easy to keep fishing because I was totally wired off adrenaline, but you know, it's always, always a team effort when you're chasing fish like that. So I didn't want it to be like, Oh, well I got, I got my 58 pounder. So, you know, it's time to go in. So we stayed out. Um, I will say that we planned to just leave the hotel the next day, you know, without staying another night. And after staying and keeping still fishing, I had to call the hotel and I'm like, listen, lady, I don't care if you charge me for another night, but we got to sleep before we drive home. And still, I mean, we got back there and even after fishing, uh, not a lot of sleep fishing for that long. I probably fell asleep for an hour and then I woke up and I was just still completely wired on adrenaline. Yeah. I figured that's why you were able to fish, you know, with no effort or no issues through the night because of that. I mean, yeah. Oh, it was crazy. That's every angler's dream right there. Yeah. And I, like I said, I, I definitely thought that I would catch a pretty crazy fish at some point during my life, you know, just by the water I fish and, you know, certain patterns that I've dialed in and, you know, based on just, you know, all that combined, but I sure as hell didn't think it was going to be in 2022. And I definitely didn't think it was going to be that type of fish. So let me ask you a question. You said you've caught, you know, you've had days where you caught multiple 55s in a day on this particular fishery. You know, is this something that you're catching them, you know, off moon phase or during moon phase? Like, did it just happen to be random that they showed up or, you know, is it something that you're like, yeah, you know, this, this moon phase and maybe it'd be new moon or, you know, full moon or whatever you prefer, you know, did that have um, an influence on it? Been kind of a double-edged sword with me. I noticed that a lot of anglers plan their trips around the moon and around, uh, you know, new moon and full moon now. So typically, before there was tons of pressure on some of these spots, yes, we'd always plan around the new moon or full moon. But now what I'm starting to notice is in between the moon, there's so many less people, you're almost better off planning the trips not on the moon now because what good is it if 10 other guys went through that spot and it's new moon or if you're the first guy to go through there and it's still, you know, not a horrible time to fish. So it's almost kind of certain you got to look at things like that too, you know, cause there was a time this summer where it was new moon. And I mean, every single spot that we used to have to ourselves or, you know, we'd have a whole milk run of spots to work through at the end of the night in every single spot, either had a boat getting to it or a boat leaving. And it was just, you know, kind of frustrating you know, we kind of just started thinking like that way. And I mean, I still definitely, I'll never argue that moon isn't a huge factor in muskies and, um, you know, influencing them and triggering, or triggering them to eat. I will say that I, I have a, you know, had a friend that always, you know, that fishing app where it tells the moon phases and the percentage of what, how good the day is going to be. 
Well, that day in 2020 that I had that was just unbelievable, it was 17% on the day, and it said it was a horrible day, basically. So I definitely think there's times where, you know, I can look at big fish, and it's within five minutes of moonrise or moonset, and I've had a lot of stuff like that. But I also can say, like, if you're solely basing your fishing off of just that, like, there's times when those fish, big fish, will eat just because they want to eat, you know? That big fish doesn't necessarily say, oh, well, it's the moon. So, you know, now I just eat and I don't eat at all, you know, the rest of the time. And also there's times where, you know, you're sometimes you're catching fish that are actively feeding. And yeah, like if they're actively feeding and eating everything that moves, yeah, that's great. But there's also times, you know, that a lot of guys know you can trigger fish into biting. I mean, there's times where, you know, trolling where they might not be super hungry, but if you dangle a bait and current in their face or, you know, you work your bulldog a certain way, you can get them to snap on it if they're in ambush mode. So definitely, I agree, moon plays a big, big factor in muskies and their feeding habits. But like I said, I've also caught giant fish on nothing in between, you know, majors and minors on bright, sunny bluebird days glass calm 90 degrees basically so you know i got buddies that say you know oh there's no clouds or you know there's no chop on the water and i'm not saying it's the best thing you know when it's bluebird in flat glass calm but i could show you a lot of pictures of giants in flat glass calm days that were really just hot and seems like you know um, stereotypically or whatever however you'd like to say would not be a good day for muskies well, I think we've said it on this podcast a few times before, the best time to go fishing is when you can, right? I mean, that's basically yep. what it comes down to. I agree, and that's the thing. I mean, especially if I'm going on a trip, I'm basically going to try and just fish as much as possible till I'm basically just fully exhausted and can't function. All right, so let me ask you a question. Now, today, you know, before this podcast, you went out fishing, you caught a muskie. It was, an, it was a nice muskie. It wasn't in that same, you know, category. Do you do you still get the same excitement nowadays, or is it kind of like, yeah, that's probably about as good as it's going to get, or or you just still, um, you know that there's still big fish out there, and you're still chasing the dream, and, and you're still happy with any muskie you catch? You know, I got buddies, and I know people that said, like, oh, you can quit now, or I quit or I just sell my stuff and you know, this and that, I guess I just look at it as there's still goals that I can make. I could still, you know, on the bodies of water, I fish, it's still possible to break that length. I could possibly get, I know the fish that have been caught over 60 inches that were legit. So, you know, it's possible to break that length. Um, you know, it might not weigh as much. It could be in the summer, but it's possible. Also, you know, I got goals to just get a shorter fish that just weighs a ton. And also different bodies of water. Uh, I could still definitely catch a bigger fish on my own body of water on the Niagara. So I guess it's just, you know, and I honestly, I truly believe, you know, I've, I've heard the argument that there's not 60-pound muskies. And I honestly, I truly believe that that fish I caught right now is, over 60 pounds, you know, and I truly believe that by December on the 15th, when it closes, I mean, that fish is still swimming. And if you caught that thing by that time, it's got to be just absolutely ungodly massive. 
you know, I still, I, I definitely will say like you catch a 50 incher and you're still like looking at it and you're like, like I caught that one today. I mean, it was a four footer and you're just like, I guess you're just the, after seeing it, it kind of just makes everything look smaller for a little bit, but I've had that happen with, you know, other big fish I caught and then you go, you know, the off season or you go, you know, a few weeks without a big, big fish and it kind of levels back out. Like I said, I still got goals. I do believe that there's 60 pound fish out there. It's just like anything. Like you look at how rare, you know, fish like the one I caught is and how small of a percentile of those fish are caught. I mean, who's to say that there's not a really, 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 really small percentile of fish bigger than that out there. And it's just, they're so far and few in between that, you know, it might take a ton of time and might take another hundred years before somebody sticks one. Who knows? But I'm definitely not sold on that. I caught the biggest fish in that river by any means. I'm sure there's one that's bigger than that out there somewhere. And that's why guys are out there. And that's why guys keep at it. I mean, perfect example. Look at Mike Lazarus. He's uh, hands down, in my opinion, the best and has caught so many huge fish and he's still at it. You ever like start out the year? I know for me, when I, especially early on in my first year as a musky fishing, it was like this anxiety and like stress of like, I need to get a big fish. Like I got to get a big fish, you know, and it used to be 50 inches. And then it was, I got to get, I got to get my 55 for the year. And I remember like that year of 2020, when I popped those big ones in the same day, it was like this, like, weight lifted off of my shoulders like your years mate you already made your year it was the first trip of the year and it's already made for the rest of the year i could play around try to explore find new tactics try new baits try and figure out some new stuff but without feeling like i'm like salvaging or like wasting time you know that i could be catching a big fish because i was already content i will say this kind of translated translates into like that with my whole musky career now like the stress of that is just like ah i'm willing to go like find new bites and new areas that you know might be new new populations of muskies they're up and coming bites or try different stuff that might not pay off right away or it might take a little bit to dial in because like the stress of that fish is like off and it's like like I said, you get a good fish at the, the start of the year, like a real, real big one. And it's, you know, the stress is off for the year. That's what my whole musky career feels like now. So <laughs> honestly, it's like a weight lifted off of my shoulders, but I'm definitely not ready to give up on trying to get a bigger one at some point. But I mean, you know, I die with that, my biggest fish. I mean, I'm hundred percent content with that. So let me ask you one other question. What's this done for demand for your baits? I'm going to be building a lot of baits, for sure. I will say, you know, with uh, musky candies, I never really did too many shows. I kind of was like underground. Like I said, there there's a lot, a lot of top guys that were using my baits and a lot of guys in the underground that are really, really good using my stuff. And I don't think a lot of people knew that. I could tell you that there is a lot of 50-pound fish and giant, giant fish that have been caught on candies that never have seen the light of day. 
because somebody sends me a picture and they want it, you know, not shown. I don't show pictures when somebody doesn't want it shown. I don't really, you know, tell people what other people caught. But that's the, the most to the extent of it I can say is the best guys in the world, a lot of them are using my baits and have been for a lot of years. And I feel like this is kind of just helping catch on, you know, like I feel like the more West you get, you know, uh, on the Niagara and on the St. Lawrence, you know, most guys are going to know what a musky candy is, but some guy, you know, in say Minnesota, he might, he might not even know what it is, but I'm sure he does now. Hopefully he does. If, if anything, you know, after this podcast, hopefully they do. So, yeah. <laughs> You know that's hey that's awesome it's uh it's a cool story and and I mean the whole the whole story is you know the overcoming personal tragedy to uh you know to exceed or meet your you know business goals is is really cool and then you know for you to go out and uh, crush a giant fish is you know pretty awesome as well. Yep, and uh, like I said, it's been a long time coming, and uh, I never thought any of this would turn into what it turned into, like the fishing aspect. I never thought, you know, me with my spinning rod and, you know, with a canoe, you know, with 30 pound braid, you know, cast in a map on this little inland lake that would ever evolve to this. And same thing, you know, I didn't ever think that me tying my own steelhead jigs and making little spinners and stuff like that would ever evolve into a company. And it just shows, you know, if you put your mind to something, um, you can do it. And I had a lot of people, you know, even family members doubt me that this could ever be anything, you know, other than just a little hobby. And I kind of just was so determined. It almost, I'm one of those people that almost made me just more determined to make it happen. Like I said, it's just in my blood. I think I'll always, until I physically can't paint anymore or my hands don't work, I'll probably always be making baits. And, uh, like I said, until I could fish, I'd probably always be fishing muskies. Hey, before, before we let you go, Colin, you got, uh, you know, if somebody's out chasing, you know, late season muskies and they're, and they're trolling, you got any tips for them? You got a, you know, a, a tip to get them started? Yeah, I do. So what I've learned just from, you know, personal experience and, you know, others that I know that are experienced anglers and trolled a lot and do, you know, late season trolling. Cause like I said, we'll troll till, you know, December 15th. And I also got guys in certain areas that can keep fishing, you know, they, their season either doesn't close or it goes till March. You know, some things that I think a lot of people are afraid to do is one, they're afraid to slow down. You know, you hear all this speed, speed, speed. I got to, you know, be, going seven miles per hour, five miles per hour and you know, all this. And I'll tell you my biggest fish casting on the water. I fish, I'm not talking, you know, say vermilion or something like that, but on the waters I fish, you're going to catch bigger fish, slow rolling 12s and like burning tens or something like that. And I, you know, if you ask my partner, you know, he used to fish a lot faster than me and he'd get maybe, you know, 10 fish and I might only get three the whole trip, but my three were giant and it happened multiple and multiple times. And I mean, you know, a lot of guys around me will tell you that like those big, those big, big fish that are eating blades, you know, especially at night. Like when I fish on blades or a spinner bait at night, I am not burning that at all. You know what I mean? And it's not exhausting. I can fish longer than you. I could fish harder than you without exhausting myself 
I understand fully that there's, you know, areas that are so pressured, you know, what, what we consider pressure out here is not what like guys on the Fox river consider pressure. Like I went out there and fished with my buddy, Brian Klein there. And I was just like, are all these guys musky fishing? Like I was astonished. Right. I think it's crazy when somebody's on a spot that I fish. And then I go like somewhere like that. I just see all these people, everybody's musky fishing. So I say, slow down. Um, I caught that fish. And like I said, that was October 24th and I was going 2.9 today when we were trolling, we're slow as 2.3, 2.2. A lot of people I think are just afraid to troll that slow. They don't think it's productive. And I can tell you like, I've had days where we're out there crawling, especially if you're fishing current, those baits just hovering. Cause if you think about it, people don't take into account that if you have two and a half mile current, you could be only going two miles per hour and moving, but the bait's still getting the action of what a four and a half mile per hour, you know, action, you know, there's certain things, especially in current and at night, I'd say slow down. You know, unless your fishery is notoriously famous for the fish just wanting it fast, I've noticed that slowing down gets giant fish. And um, you're sometimes able to get fish that might not be willing to chase something down or really snap super quick. You're almost, if you're in current, you can almost cross current and slide across the current, you know, just without losing ground and keep hanging that bait in a fish's face. And it's just like you see guys, you know, fish for bass, they're spawning on the bed. Like sometimes you can eventually get those fish to just snap just by, you know, out of curiosity or reaction or whatever. Also, you know, just going deeper. Sometimes it depends the fishery staying on bait versus structure or whatnot. You know, I know some places turn into basically totally fishing bait is the structure. So my favorite thing is to slow down and also the baits you're using i've noticed that most wooden baits lose their effectiveness compared to a resin or high impact plastic bait after it gets so cold like i said i make both wood and resin baits and you know i could tell you the difference if you ever even just pull a resin bait along a dock and then let it float up and then you do that with a wooden bait and watch it float up. Watch how fast that wood bait floats up. I don't care how it's weighted. Watch how fast it floats up. And that shows to show like if you're trolling slow and then you're making a, you know, inside turn, I've seen wooden baits float right to the surface on a turn. They can't stay down. And, uh, you know, if you watch some resin baits, they'll almost hover like neutrally buoyant on a turn. So I definitely noticed that. And I'm also in that colder water, they just seem more consistent. The action's more consistent. The weight is spaced out evenly. It's just, it definitely, uh, I've seen a difference. Primarily, I can be honest with you, primarily the whole year, I'm more of just a resin guy. I do make some wood baits and will fish them, but I've just always kind of fished. Like, like I said, I grew up on the Niagara and Buffalo Harbor fishing, you know, perch baits, plows, depth raiders, Ernie's, stuff like that. So it's kind of just also ties into that's what I grew up on. So, Colin, before we let you go, if somebody's looking to get in touch with you or, or you know, they're looking to get their hands on a bait, what's the best way they can go about doing that? 
Honestly, the best way is through Facebook to message the business page, Musty Candy Customs, or um, even the Instagram page, Musty Candies. I do have a website, but like, I I could never keep it stocked, no matter what I do, pretty much. And I'm not really in a position to hire somebody full-time to work for me unless they're willing to work for Bates. <laughs> so... You know, as of right now, I really, you know, the orders come in. I will do shop orders here and there, you know. But, you know, a lot of it's just orders coming in from, you know, long-term customers, new customers. And, you know, that seems to keep me keep me busy. And then along with, you know, we all know how the private page stuff and raffles like that, everything go. I'm definitely going to try to figure out some ways to go into overdrive this winter and really try and find some ways to keep quality, but become more efficient. I feel like I've done a lot of that already. Like I said, when I went full time and started doing this, you know, I used to just have these silicone molds. I'd pour one at a time. Well, you know, then I got multi-cavity mold, CNC, professionally designed, everything's, you know, symmetrical, like I said. So they're consistent, like every single bait. Basically, I mean, obviously, there could be something slightly off, but, you know, a CNC bait, basically, every bait is identical. That and, um, you know, just certain processes that have had. And that's another thing, like I'll say, I'm a fisherman, so when I started making these baits, I wanted everything to be, like, as good as it possibly could be. You know, I worked through a lot of those, like, defects and issues before I really started pumping these things out, you know, and got the staple things that I wanted set in place before I, you know, it ever even really became a business. It's uh, like I said, it's been a long run, but a good one. I plan to keep it going as long as possible. And I'm very happy with how things have turned out. I'd like to say thank you to everybody out there in the musky community for all the love that they showed um, a lot of times, you know, I'd hate to say it, but we know how people get when they're on the internet and behind the keyboard. And there wasn't really, I didn't get much of that. Um, you know, it was basically all positive and love and I'm sorry, but it's hard to find that, you know, on the internet. Um, so I just want to thank everybody for all the love and support on the page. You know, I still remember baits that I sold people, you know, years and years and years ago. And I always tell guys when they order, like, thank you for your support. Or thank you for your ongoing support. Cause you know how it is, you know, doing what you do. If they, if they didn't exist, we wouldn't exist. hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, you're just driven by that passion to keep going and, and keep making it bigger and keep, you know, chasing after your dreams and, we wish you, um, you know, much success in your business. We wish you wish you much success in, you know, fishing. It sounds like you're going to probably try to push this thing all the way to the end. I'm assuming. Yes, definitely. We'll uh, we'll be back out tomorrow, and if I can, you know, I get a gap in the weather to, you know, get back up to where I could possibly get uh, another fish like that at some point. I'll be I'll be back off, even if it's ice or snow, whatever. You know, as long as I, it is nice. My partner, he's got the full enclosure now, so I can't even lie. I mean, it's not like we're grinding it out how we, how we used to it. You know, it used to be the whole boat was covered in ice and like just a mess, you know, and it's nice because I, 
he's got that full enclosure out. So we got the little buddy heater in there and we're eating hot food and stuff. So it does, it makes it easier to go for a longer period of time too. Yeah, definitely. So Colin, I want to thank you for coming out, taking time out of your schedule to, you know, talk musky fishing with us. Congratulations on a giant fish. You know, hopefully uh, you find a bigger one. That'd be insane and awesome. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, I'm not banking on it, but I'm going to try. And then, you know, once again, we want to thank all of our listeners for putting up with us for another episode. And we'll see everybody again with a new one next week. Awesome, man. 